Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Bible reading for today is taken from Exodus 20, from verses 1 to 3, and then 8 to 11. Exodus 20, from verses 1 to 3, and then 8 to 11. At the end of this reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Kindly respond by saying, thanks be to God. I start. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. All right, hi, my name is Femi. Good morning. And um, uh, thanks for coming to the second service. Of course, I think I'm staying for, for the second service, but it's nice to see see faces I didn't see this morning. And also, if you're, if you're new here, it's really, it's a pleasure for you to come and worship with us. We really love having you around. All right, so um, we're beginning a new series, and I want to talk a little bit about what, what comes to your mind when you think of an idol. Now, most of us, probably, it would be something like the kinds of statues, stone statues, um, statues made of wood, or maybe some that are made of... Uh, Iron or clay, the kinds that we saw in the introduction here. Now, one of the responses that we often would get, and it would be for two different reasons, is I know those idols, but they have no real meaning or importance in the modern world today. Now, if you are not a Christian, you would say there is one reason for that, and it's very simply the advent of technology. You know, all those things that we hope that the idols will give to us before, all of a sudden now, we've now entered into a scientific age, it's liberated us from all that kind of thinking. And some of us would say, idols don't have any uh, meaningful importance in the world today because, especially if you're a Christian, because of the advent of Christianity. You see, there was a time these things reigned, and our, our forefathers were in, were in dark ages, but the Christians came, we came with the power in the name of Jesus. All idols were shattered. And so today, idols play no importance. You are wrong. And I can give you one reason why you are wrong. It's a single word, and it is called Liverpool. Liverpool Football Club. What do I mean by that? Now, Liverpool Football Club is a unique club um, in the English is probably, in Liverpool have the most, not just the most passionate fans, but probably the most knowledgeable fans. 
And all of this came, I want to talk about the new Liverpool fans of today. Yeah. All of this came because they, they were in doldrums in the, in the late 50s. And they had this manager called Bill Shankly. Bill Shankly, after him, succeeded him, was uh, uh, Bob Paisley. And they had Shankly brought them out, took them first division. They won um, uh, some FA Cups, won a league title, um, won a, then what was called UEFA Cup, but it's now called Europa, whatever. And that built Bob Paisley then succeeded him and in the 70s and the 80s, Liverpool were the biggest club in Europe. Now, I said, the fans are very passionate, very, very passionate. In fact, sometimes they're a little bit too passionate. And let's test this theory about religion not having any importance or idols not having any importance in this, in this modern world. Let's look at a couple of pictures here. Wow. Liverpool is our religion. Anfield is the ground where they play, by the way. So when they say Anfield is our church, if I can add one more line, in the 90s they had this wonderful striker called Robbie Fowler. So they would say, Liverpool is our religion, Anfield is our, our, our church, and Robbie Fowler is God. And then the next one is they had this uh, guy, uh, born the son of God, JC is our savior. He's like, oh, yeah, of course, Jesus Christ is our savior. No, he's not talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about Jamie Carragher, second Muscat player for Liverpool, 17 years there. And they said, you know, JC is our savior. So you see, it, for them, it was much more than religion. It was much more than life and death. In fact, Bill Shankly gave us this quote. He says, some people think football is a matter of life and death. I don't like that attitude. I can assure them it is much more serious than that. <laughs> Liverpool is our religion. Anfield is our church. You see, this, just sociologically speaking, you would find that people would say, look, everyone worships something. What is worship? It is basically the devotion, what the, a life of devotion to who or what's most important to you. That's why in Ezekiel 14, the Bible can say, not just the idols there, but the word of the Lord came to me, to me, said, son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. Not graven images. You see, idols are not just the things that we see. Those things that we saw out there, even the ancients knew that this wasn't their God. It was a manifestation of the God that they sought. So the question is, in our city, in Lagos, what God are you worshipping? Well, this series is about examining three major gods that we find in the city of Lagos. One is sex, the other one is power, and one is money. And today, we won't start with money. You see, Lagos is a microcosm of Nigeria. Um, by that, I mean all tribes are here. Mo all of us here have met an Iberia person here, uh, Igbo people. There's Anambra Igbo. There's uh, Imo Igbo. If you think what is different between them, don't talk to an Anambra Igbo, uh, Igbo person and say, uh, you and the Owiri people, you're the same. Just don't do that, all right? You have all manner of people, Hausa, Fulani, all of those things. And when we live together, that created a kind of cosmopolitan culture. And one of the things that happens is that we start to learn one another's languages. Now, if you are a, linguist, a linguistic expert like me, you'll be able to speak some of these major languages fluently, right? Like when I engage Hira and Aleri in Hausa, you know, but some of you can't do that, so I don't want to exclude you. But nonetheless, even if you don't really understand that most of us understand certain basic words. So for instance, if I said, come, the, the word come, 
What is come in Yoruba? What is come in Hausa? What is come in Igbo? From which we get Wazobia, which is actually interconnected with something else that we often know in all the other languages. If I say what is money in Yoruba, you say what? If I say what is money in Hausa, you say what? And if I say what is money in Igbo, what will you say? You know, the funny thing is that most people that I know, Yorubas or Hausa, they knew what money was in Igbo before they knew it in their own language. I'm not saying anything about Igbo people. I'm just putting it out there. We worship money in Lagos. That's the truth. Money drives. In fact, you can even see it in some names. Owolabi. Olafe. But after Owolabi, Owolafe, Owode. You know? It's all related to money somehow, for the non-Yoruba speaking. It drives us why many people come to this, to this city. And they come to this city not because they feel that money grows on trees, but because they know that if they work hard, they'll be able to make the money. You see, money and work in that regard are so interrelated. Our money, as we'll see, takes our work. And because money is not a true God, it starts to destroy what work is meant to be. If I one thing we learn in this sermon, and I want—I don't want us to forget—is this. Uh, let me say something else. Part of the problem is if you worship the false god, what are we trying to seek from all these gods? Basically, we are trying to seek one thing. It's called rest. Say rest, uh, just to sleep. No. What is rest? Rest is an assured, secured state that all is all right. If I attain to a particular state of being, I feel and I'm secured and assured, and I know that all is all right, that is rest. And what we're going to learn today is that we are called to resist the God that makes us restless and embrace the God that gives us rest. Resist the God that help, makes us restless and embrace the God that gives us rest. We'll learn that from, as we read in this passage, remembering the Sabbath. So I want to take this sermon in three different points. One, the enemy of the Sabbath, two, the practice of Sabbath, and three, the Lord of Sabbath. The enemy of Sabbath, the practice of Sabbath, and the Lord of Sabbath. So let's go. If you notice in the first, first point, the enemy of Sabbath, if you notice, Exodus 20, from where we read, we didn't read everything, but Exodus 20 is the passage for the famous Ten Commandments, or the Decalogue. Now, what happened, don't forget, God didn't just give them those commandments and just said, well, as all Christians, this is what you should do. You know, there are some people who try to want to pin the Ten Commandments on, you know, in, in schools and, and all of those things. But they didn't come in isolation. In fact, look at the introduction to the giving of the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words. I am, this is the introduction, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It was in the context of people who had just been delivered from slavery. Slavery in the land of Egypt. Now, you know, slavery is both a condition that deals with our external and internal. We often know the external, but we don't often think of the, uh, the internal. Marcus Gavin was a black uh, nationalist and um, uh, uh, pan-Africanist. Actually, his, his writings were was um, the inspiration for a lot of the Pan-African uh, anti-colonial movements that happened in the 20th century that then made all of us independent. And Marcus Garvey said something that someone turned into a song. Uh, we put it in the lyrics of a song. He said, emancipate yourself from 
mental slavery. You know that song, right? So it's both external and internal. And God knew that if he was going to deliver these people from true slavery, it was going to be both external and internal. And that's why you have to think about both. So let's go to the beginning of the book to understand what happened. In Exodus chapter 1, especially if you look at verse 9 and 10, we learn this, or maybe even the whole book of Exodus. What happened? There was a guy called Abraham. God made a promise to him that he was going to deliver all nations of the earth through him, but he was going to come through his offspring. Abraham gave birth to a child called Isaac. Isaac gave birth to a child called Jacob. Jacob gave birth to 12 sons, and those 12 sons, one of them, 11th, was called Joseph, who was sold into slavery in Egypt. He eventually rose to become prime minister. When he became prime minister, he moved all his siblings and all the family from um, where they were in Goshen and then brought them into Egypt. They settled in a place called Goshen. After, after 400 years, these people multiplied in Egypt. And there was a pharaoh that didn't know all the good things that Joseph did. And so he became insecure. He said, look, these people are too numerous for us. If our enemies come against us, it's very possible these people will turn against us. And it's in that context that verse 11 of chapter 1 comes. He said, so they have to do something about it. What did they do? So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Petom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. What do you notice? The main instrument through which the Egyptians enforced their slavery was through what? Work. But now it said forced labor or that they were working them ruthlessly is the external. You see, we live in a time when, for many of us, Pharaoh is really your line manager. Right? You know Pharaoh, don't you? Some of you know him. He's a line manager, or he's not just your line manager. He's the person above your line manager who is above that one. Basically, he's your CEO. The CEO or the partner, the managing partners, they have set up slave-like conditions for workers. Unfortunately, some of you here are the pharaohs, but we won't talk to you. You see, working conditions for many people, people are too scared or feel guilty for taking leave. People receive calls after 12 midnight. There was a person here that told me that her boss called her at 2 a.m. You know, as an employer, I live by myself, right, at least a boss to, to, to some people, you give, you know how it starts, you give the employment contract, right? And in the employment contract, it says you are required to work here between 9 and 5 a.m. Now, here's the point. 9 is usually fixed. 5 is very expandable. You know, you know how that thing is, right? Now, in our place, I tell them, usually, it can go like to like 6 o'clock, you know? And if you should do your own job. Usually, you're free, but, you know, 7 is fine. But for some of you, first of all, 9 is not fixed. Because the problem is, you know, if you don't leave your house by 5.30, you probably will get there 9.30. So, really, 9 is really about 6.30. Some of you get to work 6.30, you stay in the car, you start working like 7. And then the 5 usually expands to like something like 9. You know, so it's really somewhere like seven to, to nine. And some of us, again, the issue is the target. 
maybe you're a consultant, you are thrown into this um, client that you're serving. At that point, you know, <laughs> you're put in a hotel, they almost make it seem as the hotel is a very fantastic thing, the reward. But you're put in a hotel, you don't even get out of the room of the hotel. You're just there, uh, food comes in, right? It's always pizza for some reason, and you are working tirelessly day and night. And the worst thing is, you're not, giving any, you're not showing any gratitude. For some people, it is, uh, you delivered, you were given a target, we're going to raise money. The first time you start with 10 million. Wow, you think, okay, since I've gotten the 10 million, I'll be rewarded. You know what you're rewarded with? Next year, 15 million. And then you make the 15 million, and then next year, it is what? 25 million. It never, ever stops. And so people are always thinking about work, always pressurized. Work that we were created for all of a sudden starts becoming a burden. You may be saying something like this. You know, I wish that the working week was two weekends, uh, uh, five weekends, I remember saying this once, five weekends and two working days. How would that be? Huh? What? Or Sunday? Oh, no, amen, okay. It's ultimately what this does is that the Egyptians taught the Israelites that they should not get rest. Rest was not given to them. They were under forced labor. Rest was not something that they should get from work. And it made them feel undervalued. It made people who probably were once local champions, who thought they had something in their head, ultimately it devalued them, dehumanizes them, affects their self-esteem and their productivity. Do you know why all of this is happening? Because those at the top are trying to serve a particular God. An elusive God is called mammon. What do I mean? If you are driven by a certain view of rest that says this, I can only come to full security and assured security once I have this bank balance. Because when I get this bank balance, I'll be able to buy this and this and this. Once I've sorted out my pension, I need to increase my pension to about 500K every month so that that secures, you know, just in case all my businesses fail. But at the same time, I need to put in this investment. Oh, my children cannot go to this kind of school. Oh, now that they're in this kind of kindergarten, that means they have to go to this primary school. And if they go to this primary school, you know they have to go to that secondary school. And after that, it's Harvard that remains now. And so you calculate all of these things. If I put it there, if I secure my children, if I secure the right investments, I've put in fixed bonds, I've put in hedge funds, and then I've put in, uh, what's that your own? Um, um, mutual funds, once you put in all of those, then eventually I will be at rest. And so because you've not reached that place, you have to keep kicking the people there, the objects or the engine of people that will get you there. Pharaoh was very insecure. And that's why they forced the Israelites to force labor. There was an insecurity and a restlessness that was within them. They kept trying to seek this God to give them the thing that they felt would secure them. But you know the thing about false gods is that they give, they don't actually get, you don't never get the full amount that you want. You know that. Some of us know it, right? After you've gotten the amount of all of those things, you still feel you never have enough. Or worse off, you get exactly what you want and you still feel restless. You're still never satisfied. Like I said in the first service, some people, for instance, you invest in Tokyo, you invest in Dubai, and then you invest in New York. You know the problem with that? You can never sleep. You invested in the East, you invest in the Middle East, and you also invest in the West. 
as this stock market is going, as this one is closing down, this one is opening. As this one is op closing down, the other one is opening. By the time that one closes, is the next one there. You can't sleep. Tokyo, Dubai, and New York. It either eludes you or you are never fully satisfied. And then what does that do? It causes you to oppress those who are under you. And the reason for this, as we see with the Israelites, is God delivered them and gave them that law. But God knew there was something else in their hearts. In some part, in Deuteronomy, it says, circumcise your hearts. Why? Because he knew their hearts were the problem. In fact, by the time they wandered through the wilderness, many times they started to rebel against God. They started to murmur against God. They started to say, you know what? <laughs> Egypt wasn't too bad. Now, they are very stupid, I have to say. And we are, we are also stupid. Don't never read the Israelites and say those people are stupid because the Israelites are weak. So, just, so they are stupid, we are stupid, everyone is stupid. All right? Now, you are going through a desert. If you are going through a desert, you are not going to find, you know, plantations. You are not going to find yam. You are not going to find sweet potatoes. And worse off, you are not going to find cucumbers. I, you, know, you know you won't find cucumbers in the wilderness. You know what they decided to do? He said, ah, the cucumbers of, ah, of Egypt. Because God was giving them manna. Manna was like popcorn, like wafers, right? And you know, you can't always be going to movies and all of that. So if you keep taking popcorn, so they started to go, but it is in the desert. What, do you, what else do you think? So they started to complain. They all, at one point, they complained about meat. Where are you going to see meat in the desert? You want meat? God gave them quails. It was so much. All of these things showed the rebellion of their heart. So that in Psalm 95, when it was recounting what happened about the children of Israel, those who are seeking rest, what does it say? It says this. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, there are people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. What did it say? A people whose hearts go astray. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. The oppression comes as a manifestation of something that is within. We are not restful within. We are seeking something to give us security, but that thing that we are seeking to give us that security can never give us the security that we want. Now, you may be sitting down here and saying, ah, thank God I'm a Christian. It's not all these non-Christians that he's talking to. Mba. Christians. Right now, we are probably the biggest problem. Because most people are going to church now. We are not going to church because we are seeking God. We are going to church because we are seeking that God to give us, to lead us to our main God. The God of Jesus, the Father of Jesus Christ, we are seeking him so that he can take us to our real God, which is Mammon. And so now, Christians, what do we do? Ever sowing, never reaping. Ever praying for breakthrough, never able to give. We are caught in different scams that the Bible does not actually give. You see people doing things, people literally doing things, and you're like, how is this person? Is this person under a spell? Of course, the person is worshiping his God. I recently saw a particular person. He said, you know, those days before, they used to, when you finish church service, uh, not service, the sermon, they now say you are calling an altar call to give your life to Christ. Today, now, it is a seed call. I can't end this service until you sow a seed. Now, before, before it used to be okay, sow a seed into this ministry, sow a seed into this visiting preacher. This man came and said, now I'm going to sow a seed. All of you, if you're looking for something, bring money and put it in my hand here. Now. Put it in my hand here. Now. 
And you say, how are these people doing this thing? How are they? He did that for like seven, eight minutes. After a while, he now said, ah, thank you, uh, Holy Spirit. One, two, three, four. It was counting. What's it counting for? What's it counting? He finished. Though. He now got to 31. He now said, there are 31 people here. They have to give another seed again. And they started coming. One, two, three. Eventually, more than 30. He did stop them at 31. I said, why are people doing this? People are doing this because they are seeking a God and rest in a God that cannot give them that rest. And they continue to seek over and over again. They are not stupid. They are worshipping. Unfortunately, they are worshipping a false God. And all that we keep seeing with this is that the God begins to master us. And whatsoever masters you, you are a slave to it. That's what 2 Peter 2 verse 19 says. You become a slave to it. We seek rest, but we never ever find that rest. So how do we respond? Well, this leads me to my second point. We respond with this. We practice the Sabbath. That's what it says in, there in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You see, because don't forget, these people have been delivered. God does not give them a law to deliver them. The laws are not given to save. God had saved them already. But when he delivered them, as a free people, he says, now, now that I have made you free, here are laws to enable you to live as a free person. Do you understand that? The Ten Commandments were not there to save them. They had been saved before they got the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments and all the other laws were to show them that they were now a distinct people. In chapter 19, he says, you will be a kingdom of priests unto me, my main possession over all the other nations of the earth. Then he gave them all these laws. This is how you live as free people. Because don't forget, the issue of slavery was not because they had bosses. You know, some people will say, ah, I'm going to pray for you so that you will not... You will not, yeah, uh, God's plan for you is not for you not to work under anybody. That's almost like the Eldorado of working, for you not to work for anybody. Imagine everybody became a Christian, and God then said, all of you, God, he doesn't want you to work for anybody. Who is going to then work for us? The issue of slavery is not that you had people over you. The issue of slavery was that the people and the conditions that you are under will never enable you to flourish. So when God gives them laws, it's not that he's putting them under slavery. He's giving them laws for them to actually live in freedom. Do you understand that? And so how do we respond in a time when it says that time is money or get rich or die trying? You don't have that one. Right? Get rid of that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you said so many things. How do we respond? We respond in Sabbath. What was the Sabbath? Look at verse 9. Uh, verse nine. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor son, nor daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And I have to quickly say something because I really do feel here in Lagos how to deal with the issue of overwork, workaholism, and all of these things is not very easy. I haven't said now that if you are under an oppressive board that you should quickly get up and quit your job. 
Some people that have been looking for work for others say, let me get into that work first, then I'll figure it out, all right? So I've not said that. But I really do feel if we look at this, the Sabbath itself is a, at least a step in how we respond to our working conditions. Now, I should say aside this, I am not saying by this that we come back under the old covenant law, no. Right? And I'm not going to explain all the issues, uh, uh, the, how we, we, we deal with the Old Testament and New Testament. All I would say is this. We are not under the Old Testament or the old, covenant, uh, the old covenant, but we can see principles from there that we can then apply. All right? And that's what we want to do. So we want to apply the Sabbath. Why, why should we even do it? Notice what he says in verse 11. He says, this is how, when God created the world, he also created the world in six days and rested. God, the creator, who created us, who are created in his image, he worked and he rested. And so he's saying the pattern and the rhythm of my image bearers should be what? Work and rest. Say it together. Work and rest. Again, work and rest. One more time. Work and rest. That's our rhythm. That's why the Sabbath is there. And so you ask me, okay, how do I apply it? Now, how do I apply it? Well, I was an engineer one time in my life, and so I like formulas. And so I'll give you a formula for how we can apply it. It is called 3PR. Now, I'm not saying you should hire 3PR people. It's not about public relations, even though I won't mind the public relations manager. Kwelumi, uh, I hope, hint, hint. Um, no, PR is uh, two, uh, two uh, words with P and R, but three times. So it is this, pause and rest. Pray and reconnect, play and revise. Pause and rest, pray, reconnect, play, revise. Let's look at each of them briefly. Pause. Did you know that when you breathe, what do we think about when we breathe? Breathing is what? Inhale and exhale. In, first of all, all you people that are in the first service, just keep quiet, okay? Don't spoil my, my kidney. Inhale and what? Exhale. Inhale and? Exhale. Now, if you did that, you would die. Because you're missing one part. It's inhale, pause, exhale. Pause, inhale, pause, exhale. You're trying it out, Navi. You see? There's a pause in between. That pause, the time of that pause, breathing experts tell us, and you can check this out because I did, is actually the time for the pause is the sum of both the time for inhaling and exhaling. Now, notice this. The heart is one of the first things that is formed when a baby is conceived, right? A few weeks into it, we start hearing heartbeats. That heartbeat continues for some people who live up to 100. It's the same heart. They didn't change it. How many of us have, have a car here that is up to 20 years old? 20. I know most of you bought your car when it was 10, all right? So you used it for 10 years. So that will make it 20, all right? Ooh, low blow, low blow, low blow, low blow. Woo. I don't mind. You can still sew it to my life. I don't care. Anyway, what, we don't keep cars for that long. Why? Because after a while, even if the car, even if the roads were fantastic, what would we say? Where an? Imagine a heart continuing to beat for 100 years. Why? How is that possible? Very simple. The pause. Because the heart continues to rest at every beat. They say, look, that is an accumulation of resting all the years. It's like half rest, half work. And so the heart is able to continue to do that because of the value of the pause. You are created to work, but also to pause. 
And that's one of the most difficult things for us to do. Look, Sabbath, the best translation of Sabbath in English is the word cease. Can you cease mental and physical activity through your work for a day? Can you do it? And I'm not even asking, say, well, if they gave it to you. It's can you? Can you, can you cease from checking or responding to ringtones and alerts for some time in a day? You see, this thing is actually very active, not just passive. We find that most of us are unable to do it. This will be extremely difficult. You know what? That's the problem. That's how we know we're sick. Because this pause, just like the heartbeat, is to replenish, but also it says something to yourself. I'm not ultimately in control of my life. Now, if you pause, you need to rest. It said that God created and then God rested. Now, I know God doesn't, there's no cosmic, you know, bed or something that God rested on. But the implication to us, at least, is this. When you pause, you should sleep. You know, some of us don't sleep well enough. In Lagos, it somehow is a customary brag now to say something like this. Oh, man, how, how are you doing? They're like, ah, oh, life, work is hard, man. It's just... I'm just putting in the shifts, you know. When do you sleep? Ah, I just sleep. I sleep like, you know, most times around 2, 2.30. I have to wake up at 5.30. Oh, oh, poor me. You just look at me. Now lie. The guy is bragging. You are bragging. That I sleep three times. I sleep three hours every day. Because what? You are trying to be like Steve Jobs. Here's the thing. Steve Jobs woke up at 4. Do you know what time he went to bed to? At? He went to bed at 8 o'clock. You didn't, you didn't know that, did you? So you are now sleeping for, eight, for, for, for three hours like your hero. But your hero was sleeping eight hours. You've been fooled all along. <laughs> Say it with me. All day. All right. No, you are not an all day. But the Bible is saying this. When we break this pattern, you are created to sleep. When we sleep, we replenish. When we sleep, we re-energize. When we take the break off. Look, sometimes the problem with not sleeping is like my son. Timulain, when I'm five, two years old, when I'm five, five o'clock, he starts being cranky. He wants this thing. They give it to him. He says it's not the one he wanted. Why is this? The TV is on. I'm crying. They put up the TV. He's still crying again. What? My wife and I just say, did he have a nap? They say, no. Say, That's the problem. Some of us are always too cranky. Some of us are even sinning because we don't sleep. Do you know? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just go and take a nap. Because your mind is working different ways. You are not following the rhythm that God has built into us. Now, the next thing then is to pray. Notice this. The Bible says that he, God is the one who neither sleeps nor slumbers. And yet, he says he's the one that grants his beloved sleep. In other words, when you sleep, the one who never sleeps or slumbers, you are saying it is to you. You are the one who holds the universe in the palm of your hands. You never sleep nor slumber. You are also the one who holds my life in your hands. If he is the one that does all of that, how come you don't talk to him? You see, the God of Mammon tries to create another rhythm in our life by putting activity here and there so that we never truly fully connect to this God. Prayer is a way of saying, after I paused and rested, I am in a state where I can start, rethink my week, and put into perspective that which is most important. I need to speak with him. There's a reason why worship service starts is the first thing on the weekday. 
is for us to have perspective. There's a reason why in this service we start with adoration. We set our eyes to the Lord. And there's a reason why when you pause and you rest, one of the first things you should do is to pray. I tried to take my week off, my day off on Monday. It's about half a day. But that's the day I pray the longest. Because I need to reconnect. So many things have happened during the week. So many temptations here and there. When I speak to him, it's different. Perspective comes. And then when you do that, after praying, there's also reconnect. Reconnect. Oh, I didn't say this about... Um, Ah, well, that's good. It's reconnect. Now, others participate in Sabbath too, if you notice in verse 10. He said, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your female or your male servant, nor your animals nor foreigners residing in your towns. Can I give this as an aside? If you deserve rest, then your staff, especially the domestic ones, deserve rest as well. Do you understand me? If you are human and you deserve rest, they also deserve rest. So many people employ domestic staff and don't give them any rest. I mean, they can't take days off in a month. They can't, some maybe ask for days off in a week. Whether you give them days off in a month, some people don't even give them leave. They're like, what, leave? Ah, no, no, leave is something that is for white collar working people. Of course not. Think about your driver, think about your maid, think about how they work. If you deserve a Sabbath, work it in a way for them. Let them go to bed earlier sometimes. Sometimes give them a day off. That's just an aside. But to reconnect also means that there may be other people that are enjoying the Sabbath. For some of us, now we are in the, in the, in the years of our lives where we are working so much, guess who we forget? Our parents who are in their pensionable age. This stops your life from all these other things that you are doing, your ambition, all the things you want to get, all of that money. And all of a sudden, say, ah, there are other people there. The fact that I work all of these things doesn't mean I can't give them a call. Most of us, they are the ones that call us and you always feel they're disturbing you. Mommy, I'll call you back. I'll call you back. I'll get back to you. Oh, I'll, I'll just, you know, all of those things. If you just paused and you rested and you prayed, you will see. Some of us, we are sacrificing our children on the altar of this mammon. We can't play with them. As we are trying to play with them, they come. An email has come in. I'm coming. I'm coming. And eventually that child starts to see that each time I go to mom or dad, it's always I'm coming. You know what the child will do after a while? They stop coming. We are unable to reconnect. Reconnect with people. Reconnect with God, but also reconnect with the people around us. Reconnect with long friends. That you just, you just send a text. I'm not saying you do this, you call them weekly. It may be different people at different times, but reconnect. And then the next thing is to play. By play... I don't mean some kind of super spiritual, you know, playing in the spirit or something. There's no such thing like that. When I mean play, I mean like play. You know, plays. Some of us don't even know what that means again. Not John Glover. Uh, not, well, so if you can't do that, do it. Do you know that, um, you know some of these uh, videos that show us refugee camps? When they show us refugee camps, they show you maybe a child, you know, she's dusty. She has blue eyes, and they're asking you to donate, you know, massive suffering. But somehow, all the time, you somehow see in the background, you see some boys there kicking a football. Isn't it? Or sometimes when they even show the girl, she has a doll. I recently watched 
Also, one fascinating documentary about the Vietnam War. Horrible war. Just senseless and horrible war. And you saw pictures of dead bodies all around, all of those things. But one of the striking images that I can never forget, you know what it was? There were soldiers in camp, and they were playing cards. Here in this most gruesome war, people were still playing. In refugee camps, people are still with their dolls, playing football. There is something deeply human about playing. And when you don't play, you don't build it into your life at all, you know what you're doing? You're dehumanizing yourself. Watch a TV show, not something about business, about your business. You watch that one during your work. I just mean watch some funny videos. Play some board games if they still exist. Call somebody and just talk, not to talk about any of that, just laugh. Be goofy with your spouse. Watch a show on Netflix. Watch a comedy. Watch Funke Akindele. Do something. <laughs> play. Because when you play, even though you are an extremely busy person, you are making a fundamental spiritual statement. You are saying that ultimately, I am not. I can give away this thing because God is the one that holds me in his hands. And he doesn't play with me. And then finally, revise. And by revise, I mean this. We are not all at the, at the same stage in life. What this practice of Sabbath is going to mean is going to be different. For some of us, maybe getting to our later 40s and all of that, we are becoming more established. Maybe you can take a day off. You're an employer of labor. But for some of us, we're going to have to think how we're going to invade our working life, invade it with moments of, of Sabbath. Think about a prayer walk. Every day, think about maybe quiet time. Bring them back. They're not that passé. Think about something. Take stock of your life. But plan to rest. When you go on holiday, don't go shopping on the high street alone. Sleep. It's important. Not only are you replenishing yourself as a human being, you are making foundational spiritual statements. You are saying, Mammon is not my God. Which leads me to the final point. Now, it's very possible that you mistake everything I've said. The final point is Lord of Sabbath. You can take all these practices, and then you can misapply them. You can misapply the laws. Now, don't forget, the laws are not to free people. The laws are given to free people. It's not for free people, but it's given to free people. But some people did not understand this when it came to Jesus' time. In Mark chapter 2 and, Mark chapter, and Matthew chapter 12, there were some Pharisees that met Jesus. And the, his disciples were very hungry. They were starving. So they went to the field. They took some grain. They started eating. They said, ah, you broke the Sabbath law. On the Sabbath day, you are, you are, you are taking food. And Come on, that's a misinterpretation of the law. And why, why is that happening for them? Well, in other places we saw that the Pharisees, they said, the Pharisees, Luke chapter 16, the Pharisees who are lovers of money. Or beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is unbelief. So we can misapply laws as people, the laws that were given for freedom, we can misapply them when we are not free. Too many of us think that we are free. Maybe because you say you are a Christian, it's for freedom that Christ has set me free. Are you truly free? No, I don't work for money. Money works for me. Please quit all these empty phrases. When you seek God, when you think about the thing that gives you the light the most, is it pleasure in God or is it that a lot? 
You see, because the rest that we need is far deeper than what money can buy us. Do you know I can prove to you that money, no matter how much money you have, it will never buy you rest. You know why? Remember what is rest. Rest is an assured and a secured state of being that all is well. There is one thing I know money cannot buy. And when that thing comes, all is not well. You know what it is? Death. There was a man that Jesus tells the story of. He took all the things. He saved all the money he could get. He built barns. He wanted to store everything. He said, I have made myself rich. And then God said to him, thou fool, today your soul is required of you. Can you buy immortal life? And if as long as you cannot buy it, mortal life, friends, let me tell you, all isn't well. The only rest that you can get that will deeply satisfy you is rest that can secure you in eternal life. And where can you get that? Well, you can only get that by going to the Lord of the Sabbath. You see, when Jesus finished speaking with the Pharisees, he said something to them that, look, you guys, he could have said you guys misinterpreted the law. That wasn't true. He took them to some part of scripture, but he concluded with this. He said, even the Son of Man, Matthew 12, verse 8, even the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What does he mean by that? Well, it means two things at least. One, the giver of the law is always above the law. I'm not talking about our legislative maker, um, lawmakers. No, they are, they are, they are uh, elected by us to go and make laws. So they are not above the laws that they set. They also have to be under the law. But in religion, the giver of the law is above the law. God was not trying to keep the Sabbath. God gave the Sabbath not as in, a, in obedience to the Sabbath. He gave the Sabbath in reflection of who he was. So he's above the Sabbath. So when Jesus says, I am the law of the Sabbath, means I cannot break the Sabbath. Guess what? Because I gave the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am God, one, that it's come as a human being. But two, as the Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, look, this Sabbath law, just as the temple, just as the sacrifices, this Sabbath law was pointing to something. There is a fulfillment of the Sabbath. Notice, Joshua, um, Moses didn't give them full rest. Joshua himself, as the writer of Hebrews said, did not give them rest when they entered the promised land. Why? Because there were enemies in the promised land. When they defeated all the enemies, the enemies still came back until eventually they were taken out of the promised land. Where would the people of God, where would people find ultimate rest? He's saying, that's it. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the one the Sabbath is pointing to. And this is why just before he started talking to the Pharisees, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this about himself. And listen very closely. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, what does Mammon, the God of money, say? He says, give me your rest and I'll give you a life of restlessness. What does Jesus, the true God, say? He says, give me your restlessness, and I will give you eternal rest. How does he do this? Because on the cross of Jesus Christ, he took our eternal unrest, eternal torment. And in his resurrection, he secured eternal rest for us. This is the only rest that if you have now, 
you can go as a free person to make money and money will never master you. You can go now and unlike the people in the financial crisis in 2008, you can lose 90% of your income. You will be very disappointed, sad, but you will never commit suicide. It's only when you know that you are fully rested from within that you will not seek all the different things. You will not be defrauded by a charlatan, whether they're in religious robes or whether they are behind a computer. Because you will say to all of these things, Mammon is not my God. Jesus is my God. And he gives me rest. I'll close with these words by the famous theologian Augustine. He says, Lord, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the one that gives us full rest. Help us, for those who have not come to Jesus, to come to him. And for us who are meant to be free people but live as slaves, help us to embrace Jesus in a way that, does not, that stops us from seeking money to perform the thing that money cannot do. We ask all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. for listening to the gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.